Amen. All right, well, we're there in Job, chapter number 32. And of course, on Wednesday nights, we've been working our way through the book of Job, taking one chapter a night. And tonight, we are in chapter 32. And of course, in chapter 32, we begin a new section of the book of Job. And uh, if you remember, the first two chapters of the book of Job were a narrative. We were given the story of Job and what happened to Job. And then chapters 3 through 31 were a section, the largest section in the book of Job. And those chapters uh, gave us a conversation between Job and his three friends, um, probably what the book of Job is most known for. And then in chapter 32, we begin a new section tonight. For the next six chapters, we're going to be studying a monologue from a young man named Elihu. It's a young man who inserts himself into this conversation. Uh, When we're done with that, we'll have chapters 38 through 41. Those are the best chapters in the book of Job. That's when God speaks. And then, of course, the last chapter, we have uh, Job being restored. And in this chapter, like I said, we have a new character who uh, begins to speak in this book. If you look at verse number one, the Bible says this. So these three men ceased to answer Job. If you remember last the last, last week or last chapter, uh, we were told at the end there that uh, Job ended his arguments. He ended speaking. And then we're told here in verse 1 that these three men ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Then was uh, kindled the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite, of the kindred of Ram against Job was his wrath kindled because he justified himself rather than God. So we have this young man, Elihu, and this we haven't really seen this in the book of Job up to now, but this indicates for us that uh, when Job and his three friends were having this conversation, Elihu was there the entire time listening. He makes that point as he uh, goes through his speech that he's been carefully and patiently listening to these arguments. And now he wants to uh, give his thoughts uh, in, in regards to Job. And just by way of introduction, let me just kind of give you some thoughts about Elihu. Elihu is a pretty controversial character in the book of Job. There are all sorts of positions and stands that people take on Elihu. Some people, uh, and, and they're pretty extreme positions. Some people think Elihu is the hero of the story. Some people believe that Elihu is the only one that spoke right and spoke true. Uh, Some people even believe that Elihu is the one who wrote the book of Job. Other people see Elihu as a villain. As I've been going through the book of Job over the last 30-some-odd weeks with you guys, and more than that, uh, the biggest question I've gotten from about the book of Job, not just from our church family, but as I've traveled and preached at different places and people that are following along with us through the study, is on my opinion of Elihu and my thoughts of Elihu. And the answer that I've given uh, so far has been that uh, I didn't have an opinion. And, and, and the reason for that is because I knew that there are lots of opinions, extreme opinions about Job. And I didn't want to be influenced, uh, not that I think it's wrong to be influenced, but I wanted to get through a verse-by-verse study through the entire book before we got to Elihu to see if there was any uh, thoughts or indications, anything that God kind of showed us. Uh, obviously, I've read the book of Job a score of times, but uh, for to be able to go through it and dissect 
uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, I purposely tried to not listen to or tried to not uh, hear the opinions of others because I wanted to just kind of study it for myself and, and try to understand it. When we ended the previous section, and since last Wednesday till tonight, I've actually been doing a study of all six chapters where Elihu is speaking, and kind of an overview, and of course I uh, uh, specifically looked at the chapter we're in tonight, and I've been drawing some out, some thoughts, some ideas, and I've been connecting them to some of the things that we've talked about, and of course, you know, now that I'm in this place, I uh, have been thinking about different positions and things that people believe about Elihu, and uh, tonight, uh, I think it'll be clear kind of where I stand on Elihu as we go through it, but I don't want to give you everything I think about Elihu because we're going to be with him for the next six weeks, so I'm going to just, we're going to focus in on this chapter tonight. Let me just say a couple things about Elihu, though. Elihu has the longest uninterrupted monologue in the book of Job. If you uh, have been with us and you've been studying the book of Job with us, you know that the way we, the, the way the conversation goes, it, it, it went in three different rounds, and each round had different sections in it where Job spoke, and then, of course, one of his friends spoke, then Job responded, another friend spoke, Job responded, another friend spoke. That was round one. Then uh, a friend spoke, Job responded, a friend spoke, Job responded, and we've been going through the book of Job in that fashion. Elihu... Uh, with Elihu, that's not the case. When he speaks, no one else speaks. And uh, he has the longest uninterrupted monologue in the book of Job. And what's interesting is that he actually speaks for more chapters than God himself speaks in the book of Job. So he is definitely the longest-winded uh, individual in this conversation. Something else that I want you to notice is kind of interesting uh, when we enter into this section of the book of Job is that we, uh, the, the section is uh, interrupted or maybe I should say introduced by the narrator of the book of Job. And of course, when you study the Bible, you, we have to understand that, especially when you're looking at narratives, you often find what we refer to as the narrator or the one who is telling us the story, though, though sometimes we may not even know who the narrator is, we know that the narrator is speaking. And uh, of course, when we started the book of Job, Job chapter 1, chapter 1 and 2, the person telling us the story, the person telling us what's going on in heaven, the conversation between God and Satan, is the narrator of the book. And when we study the Bible, we understand that the narrator of the Word of God really is the Holy Ghost. Uh, no matter who it is that's speaking. It may be Matthew writing down the Gospel of Matthew. It may be Luke writing down the Gospel of Luke. But we know that the Bible says that holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So just to give you a quick idea or concept when it comes to Bible study, uh, the narrator always trumps the character. Sometimes in the Bible, we are told what characters said. We are told what they said, but what they said is not always true. Now, it's in the Bible, and the Bible is true, because that is what they said. I hope you follow what I'm saying. When the Bible tells us what a character said, it's true, because that's what they actually said. But what they said may not necessarily be 
true. When a character is speaking, we have to compare what they're saying to what the narrator says or what statements in the Word of God uh, say, what the Lord Jesus Christ says, what God says, in order to know if that is true. That's what we've been doing, I don't know if you've noticed it or not, throughout the book of Job. Whenever Job is speaking, we take that as gospel. We know it's true. Why? Because at the end of the book of Job, God tells us everything that Job said was true. We've had entire chapters where these uh, three friends have been speaking, and we've been dissecting those things, and, and not just assuming that they're speaking the truth, because at the end of the book, God tells us what they said was wrong. Now, what we've learned as we've dissected these conversations is that there's been two different types of wrong that these men have had. One type of wrong is where they're just flat out wrong. They're lying about Job. They're not telling the truth about Job. They're just flat out lying. The other type of wrong is that they were saying something that maybe was correct, but not correct about Job. They were making a point that was true about wicked people, but they were applying it to someone who was not wicked. When we come to Elihu, we must take the same approach. We can't look at what Elihu is saying and just believe that everything he says is true, and we're going to spend the next six weeks dissecting the words of Elihu and learning uh, uh, and, and comparing Scripture with Scripture. He makes accusations saying Job said certain things. We're going to study that out and see, did Job actually say those things? Uh, he, he, there's certain things he says. We're going to compare those. Uh, but what I want you to notice is that this chapter begins with an intersection of the narrator. In fact, the narrator actually starts speak, uh, speaking in the previous chapter. If you would go back to Job 31, I'd like you to notice verse 40. If you remember in Job 31, Job 31 was the last speech of Job where Job just kind of lays out his innocence. He, he gives this list of sins and he says, if I did this, then this should happen to me. If I did this, then this should happen to me. And he's asserting the fact that he did not do any of those sins that he's been accused of. In verse 40, the Bible says this, and this is Job speaking, let thistles grow instead of wheat and cockle instead of barley. Now I want you to notice, period, that statement was made of Job. It is documented in Job 31 as Job speaking. The next sentence is not Job speaking. The next sentence in the book says, the words of Job are ended. Now, it's not like Job was speaking and then he said, the words of Job are ended. Um, that's actually the narrator telling us that Job is done speaking. And we've seen this throughout uh, the book of Job. Usually at the beginning of the chapters or whenever a, a character begins to speak, we read the narrator saying, and Job answered and said, or Elihu answered and said. And we're usually told who's speaking uh, by the narrator of the book. Here in verse 40, at the end of the book, the words of Job are ended is the narrator of the book of Job, telling us that Job is done speaking. Job has concluded his argument. That begins a small dialogue of the narrator, the last statement of chapter 31, and in chapter 32, we still have the narrator speaking. Notice verse 1. The Bible says this, So these three men cease to answer Job. The question is, who's speaking here? Is this Job saying, so these three men cease to answer Job? Is this Elihu saying, so these three men cease to answer Job? And the answer is no. It is the narrator 
telling us what's going on. The narrator is introducing for us this new character, Elihu. He says, so these three men ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Then was kindled the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite, of the kindred of Ram. Against Job was his wrath kindled because he justified himself rather than God. Also against his three friends was his wrath kindled because they had found no answer and yet had condemned Job. Now, Elihu had waited till Job had spoken because they were elder than he. When Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, then his wrath was kindled. Again, I want you to notice verses 1 through 5. The narrator is speaking. There's no character telling us this. It's not Eliphaz speaking here. Job telling us these things. It's the narrator of the book of Job telling us these things. Notice verse 6. And Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite, answered and said. Now at this point, and your King James Bible doesn't have quotation marks. Quotation marks were not a thing that was used when the King James Bible was translated. But at this point, after the, word, after the words answered and said, now Elihu begins to speak. Notice he says, I am young and ye are very old. Wherefore I was afraid and durst not show you mine opinion. I want you to notice that the narrator of the book of Job speaks from the last sentence in uh, chapter 31 and verse 40 through the uh, beginning statements of verse 6 in chapter 32. And Elihu begins to speak there in the middle of verse 6 and he'll speak for the next six chapters. You say, why is that important? Why are you bringing that up? Well, I'm bringing that up for this reason. When the narrator speaks, we know that it is whoever it is that wrote the book of Job is speaking the words of God. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And this gives us a little bit of insight into the narrator's opinion of the book of Job. What did the narrator think about Job and about his three friends and about Elihu. I just want to point this out for you real quickly just by way of introduction, and then we're going to jump into this idea of Elihu. I want you to notice, first of all, that Job, the, the narrator tells us that Job did not sin um, and that Job did defend his own righteousness. Notice verse 1 again, and again, this is the narrator speaking. So these three men ceased to answer Job. The narrator is telling us, the same narrator that told us that Satan appeared to God up in heaven and there was this conversation that went on. He's telling us the three men ceased to answer Job because, because of why? Because he was righteous in his own eyes. Now, here's the thing. Usually we might look at that and see that as a negative thing. But here's what we know from the first two chapters of the book of Job, that Job really was righteous. That Job was a perfect and an upright man. And here the narrator is telling us, hey, the three men, uh, the, the three men ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. See, Job was righteous in his own eyes, and Job was right about being righteous. The accusations coming towards him by his friends are these, that uh, this is happening to him because of sin in his life, that he's done something in his life that has brought these uh, uh, events into his life, and he needs to get right with God. He needs to repent. And Job has continued to say, I'm not uh, perfect in the sense that uh, he's not sinless, but he's saying there's no major sin in my life. There's nothing that I've done that has brought this about. And here the narrator is telling us, hey, they stopped responding because he was righteous in his own eyes. And here's the thing. 
Job really was a righteous man. Nothing that happened to him in this book was a result of his sin. I want you to notice the second thing the narrator tells us about Job. He not only tells us that Job did not sin and defended his own righteousness against the accusations, and he was right in that, in those, in that defense, he also tells us that Job did not defend God as being right in what God was doing. Notice verse 2. Then was kindled the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite of the kindred of Ram. Again, this is the narrator telling us. Against Job was his wrath kindled because he justified himself rather than God. Now, and I've explained this as we've gone to the book of Job, and I'll explain it again tonight, and we'll talk about it again at the end of the book. My position with Job and what I believe the Bible is teaching us about Job is that Job was obviously not sinless. I don't think there's anybody in the world that would say Job was without sin. Job was not the Lord Jesus Christ. Obviously, he was a sinner. The Bible tells us that he was a perfect and an upright man. The word perfect means that he was a mature, complete, whole. He was a well-balanced individual. And we know that he was sinless in the sense that there was no major sin that was the reason for why he was being punished. But Job was obviously a sinner. He wasn't perfect in the sense that he was sinless. And though I do believe that Job did not sin in, this, in, in the book in the sense that he never cursed God, he never charged God foolishly, he won the challenge. Because if you remember, the entire argument between Satan and God was that, you know, doth not Job serve God for naught? He says, God, Job serves God because you've blessed him. If you take all these blessings away, then he's going to quit on you. He's going to curse you. He's going to uh, charge you uh, foolishly. And Job never did that. He never quit on God. He never said, I'm done with God. He never said, I stopped believing in God. Though he lost all these things, he never cursed God. And that's why at the end of the book, he's the winner. He gets blessed and he gets uh, 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 everything back that God blessed him with. However, that doesn't necessarily mean that Job didn't do some things that maybe we could say were wrong or he could have done better. And one of them we find here at the end, and really the only one that I can think of, we find here at the end of verse 2, when it says that Job justified, uh, it says because he justified himself rather than God. See, what we find in the last 31 chapters of the book of Job, when Job is speaking, is that Job does a very good job of saying I didn't do it. I didn't do anything wrong. I don't know why this is happening. He's right in saying those things. He really didn't do anything wrong. And sometimes we find Job having these great statements of faith. He says, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. He, he, he never quit on God. He said, even if God kills me, I'm not going to quit on God, which is why he comes to the end as a winner. But what we do see Job doing throughout the book of Job is questioning God. Is, is, is saying, you know, God has not uh, uh, spoken to me. God has not told me what he's doing. God uh, owes me an answer, and God is being cruel to me, and he's becoming an enemy towards me. These are statements that Job made. So Job, the narrator tells us at the end of verse 2, he justified himself, nothing wrong with that, but he never justified God. He never said, God doesn't owe me an answer. He never said, God doesn't have to tell me what's going on. He never, he never made those statements. In fact, he questioned God. And by the way, that's why at the very end of the book, God shows up. 
And he begins to ask Job all these questions. Where were you when I did this, when I did that? Where were you when I created the earth? Where were you? Are you able to control dinosaurs? And are you able to do all these things? And the purpose is this, that God never is rebuking Job for sin or for anything that he needs to repent for, but he does want to make sure that Job understands that I don't owe you an answer. So we see here the narrator pointing something out to us that Job could have done better. He justified himself. Nothing wrong with that. He was a just man, upright. But he never justified God. He questioned God. He questioned what God was doing. He, he said, I, I feel like God is treating me in a cruel way. He said, I feel like God is treating me as an enemy. I want you to notice what the narrator thinks about Job's friends. Look at verse 3. Also against his three friends was his wrath kindled because... They had found no answer and yet had condemned Job. Now, the narrator is telling us that this is why Elihu is upset at his friends, but this is a true statement. His friends are condemning Job, though without any evidence. They have found no answer. They haven't actually found anything to, to prove their accusations, but they're condemning him without any evidence. So we get a little insight from the narrator as to what's going on here in the book of Job. Now, here's the bad news. The bad news is that Elihu's pretty long-winded, and for the rest of chapter 32 and for most of chapter 33, he doesn't say much. But we're going to dissect what he says in this chapter. He doesn't really begin. All of chapter 32 is really one big introduction that Elihu does for himself. So we're not going to dissect the things that he said and where he's wrong and where he's right about Job. But tonight, what we're simply going to do for the rest of the chapter is get to know who is this guy, Elihu, because that's what he does in chapter 32. He introduces himself, and we're going to be introduced to Elihu. Who was Elihu? And there's three things that are highlighted in this chapter about Elihu. And if you're interested, of course, in, in studying the book of Job, I hope you are. I hope that's why you're here. Then maybe you can jot these things down because Elihu is a very controversial character. And I'd like you to get an idea of who we're dealing with here. We're not really going to focus in on what his accusations against Job because those come at another chapter. But we're going to just uh, allow Elihu to introduce himself to us in this chapter. So we're going to answer this question tonight. Who is Elihu? Who was Elihu? Well, first of all, I'd like you to notice that Elihu, and if you're taking notes, you can write this down, Elihu was young. Elihu was a, uh, a young individual. Notice verse 4. Now Elihu waited, again, this is still the narrator, but the narrator tells us this about Elihu. Now Elihu waited till Job had spoken because they... The they there is referring to Job and his three friends. They were elder than he. The he there is referring to Elihu. The narrator of the book tells us that they, Job and his three friends, were elder than he, Elihu. Notice verse 5. When Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, then his wrath was kindled. And Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite, answered and said, up to this point, the narrator's been speaking. Now I want you to notice what Elihu says. And right off the bat, you get a pretty good idea of this young man, Elihu, and the amount of wisdom that he has. He says to Job and his three friends, he says, I am young. 
narrator told us he was that they were elder than he. But now we see Elihu himself stating the fact that he is young. Now, nothing in the world wrong with that. I'm not sure why he had to make the next statement. He says, I am young, and ye are very old. <laughs> I'm not, you know, it, it, it sounds like a young man, doesn't it? You don't really have to say that, Elihu. Very old, really? I am young, and ye are very old. Wherefore, I was afraid, and durst not show you mine opinion. The first thing that we see is that Elihu was young. He is a young man. I'd like you to keep your place there in Job 32. That's our text for tonight. And go with me, if you would, to the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4. You can find the T-books. They're all clustered together. 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, and Titus. Tonight, the sermon is, look, anytime you open up the Word of God, it's profitable for everyone. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable, uh, and, 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 and it'll help you. But uh, especially tonight, and maybe the next six chapters, is going to be very profitable for young men. Uh, and I thank God that we have a lot of uh, young men in our church. But uh, we're going to learn some things about young men here with Elihu. And I've got two sons. And I, I, I want them to listen. I want them to listen up and learn some things about, uh, uh, about young men from Elihu. The first thing we know about Elihu is this. If you, if you, before we begin to dissect his arguments, he introduces himself to us, and we need to take some note to who we are dealing with here. The first thing we know is that he's young. Elihu was young. Uh, the Bible says that they were uh, elder than he. He said himself, I am young, and ye are not old. He said, ye are very old. Now, either they were very old, or he was very young. Because when you're young, people that don't seem, that aren't that old, seem very old. I remember when I was a kid, I thought, you know, 30-year-olds were very old. And now that I'm in my 30s, I think, good, you know, this, I'm in my prime, right? And, uh, and, 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 you know, people, as you get older, 40 doesn't seem so old, and 50 doesn't seem so old, and 60 doesn't seem so old. And uh, here we have Elihu saying, I am young, and ye are very old. So we know that he's a young man. Now let me just say this. Young people should not be despised simply because they're young. We should not despise young people simply because they're young or because of their youth. In fact, the Apostle Paul taught a young man, Timothy, that uh, uh, in 1 Timothy chapter number 4. Notice verse number 12. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12, the Bible says this, Let no man despise thy youth. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word and conversation and charity, in spirit and faith and purity. Here we have the Apostle Paul speaking to a young man, Timothy, and, you know, as far as how young Timothy was, we don't know, but we know he's old enough to be in ministry. He's, the, he's a pastor here. First Timothy is a pastoral epistle. Paul is writing to this young pastor, helping him in the ministry, and he tells him, let no man despise thy youth. So when it comes to young people, young people should not be despised simply because they are young. We should not discriminate against young people because, uh, just because of their youth. Keep your place there in 1 Timothy. We're going to come back to it. Go back to Job chapter 32. Keep your place in 1 Timothy. Throughout the Bible, you find that young people uh, uh, can serve God and can do great things for God. It was David, a young lad, who slew Goliath. 
It was Joseph, a 17-year-old kid who got sold into slavery and did all those great things uh, that God was, the Bible tells, him, tells us the Lord was with him and God used him uh, uh, down in Egypt. It was young people like Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego that took great stands for God and God used them in a mighty way. So we understand that young people should not be despised. We should not discriminate against them simply because they are young. God can use young people. In fact, God wants to use young people. Uh, we, we believe that young people should serve God with their lives. They should give God of their strength, and they should give God of their youth. So the first thing we understand about Elijah, we, we can gather here with Elijah is that he's young. And when we uh, identify the fact that he's young, we should identify this principle that we should not discriminate against Elihu or anyone else simply because they are young. The Bible says, let no man despise thy youth. However, with that said, with the understanding that we should not despise young people simply because of their youth, we must also understand this, that young people uh, uh, sometimes, you know what, let me say this before I even move forward. Go, go back to Job 32. Let me back up for a second. Not only should we not despise young people, but let me just say this real quickly. Sometimes young people are right. Sometimes young people do know more than older or elder people. Now, I'm not saying Elihu's right, but I am saying that sometimes, in general, young people can be correct, can be right, can be taking the right stand. You're there in Job 32. Look at verse 7. The Bible says this, I said, this is Elihu speaking, I said they should speak, and the multitude of years should teach wisdom. But this, uh, there is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth uh, them understanding. Notice verse 9. Elihu says this in verse 9, and I believe this is a true statement. Elihu's not incorrect here. Now, I don't think he should have said it. I think it's a little rude that he even made this point. But it's not an incorrect point. Verse 9. He says, great men are not always wise. Neither do the aged understand judgment. Now again, when you just began your conversation by saying, I am young and ye are very old, I think it's very rude that he would say, when he just told these guys, you guys are really old, and by the way, great men are not always wise, neither do the aged understand judgment. I think that's rude. But is he incorrect in that statement in general? And the answer is no. It's true that sometimes old people are wrong. Sometimes, just because you're older doesn't make you right. In fact, sometimes young people do know more than older people. You say, well, are we going to take Elihu's word for it? No, because Elihu is a character speaking, and we have to determine whether what he's saying is right or wrong. But when we can reference it back to a narrator in the Bible or a statement in the Bible that agrees with that, then we can say, okay, Elihu, I don't think you should have said that, but you're right. Great men are not always the godly men. Old men are not always correct. Go to the book of Psalms, if you would. Psalm 119. Psalm 119. You're there in Job. Just flip over to the book of Psalms. Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is, of course, a psalm about the Word of God. It's the longest psalm in the book of Psalms. It's divided into different sections. Verse 97 begins the section called Mem, which is divided by the Hebrew alphabet. It's interesting because it's the section entitled Mem, and it's all about memorizing the Word of God. Psalm 119, verse 97. Oh, how I love 
uh, oh how, excuse me, oh how love I thy law, it is my meditation all the day. Here the psalmist is saying that he loves the word of God and he meditates upon the word of God all the day. The only way to meditate upon God's word all day long is to have it in your heart, to memorize it. Look at verse 98. Though through thy commandment, uh, uh, thou, excuse me, thou through thy commandment has made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. I want you to notice verse 99. Notice what the psalmist says. I have more understanding than all my teachers. Now, why does the psalmist have more understanding than all his teachers? Here's why. For thy testimonies are my meditation. You know that a young person could memorize the Word of God, study the Word of God, learn the Word of God, hide it in their heart, uh, meditate upon it, uh, and, and internalize it, and they may get to the point where they have a more understanding or a better understanding of the Word of God than their teachers. Look at verse 100. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep thy precepts. Here we have a narrator of the Word of God saying, I understand more than the ancients, than the older people, because I keep thy precept. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. Go back to Job 32. So here's what we understand. Young people should not be despised or uh, discriminated against simply because they are young. Sometimes, sometimes, key word here is sometimes, young people do know more than older people. Sometimes older people are wrong. With that said, though, however, let's make this statement, go to Job 32. By and large, young people should know their place. You say, well, we shouldn't despise young people because they're young. I agree. Well, old people are not always correct. That's true. Well, sometimes young people know more than, uh, the, 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 uh, of the Word of God than, than other uh, 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 older people. That may be correct. But by and large, young people, and specifically young men, should know their place when it comes to interacting with older people. Job 32, look at verse 7. Notice what Elihu said. And here, Elihu is right. He's talking about the fact that he's been listening in on this conversation between Job and his three friends who he describes as very old men. And in verse 7 he said this, he said, I said, days should speak and multitude of years should teach wisdom. And when Elihu makes that statement, I say, amen Elihu, you're right. And by the way, not only are you right, you're humble right now. Well, I should say, for the last 32 years when you weren't talking, you were right. <laughs> he said, days should speak. He said, you've been alive longer than I have. You have more experience. Days should speak, and multitude of years should teach wisdom. Look at, look at verse 11. He says, behold, I waited for your words. I gave ear to your reason. And again, Elihu is right and humble in these statements. He says, whilst ye searched out what to say. Look at verse 12. He says, yea, I attended unto you, and behold, there was none of you that convinced Job or that answered his words. See, by and large, young people should know their place and should understand how to respect and respond to older people. Go to the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19. Here's what we learn about Elihu is that he's young. Should he be discriminated against simply because he's young? The answer is no. Let no man despise thy youth. Do sometimes young people know more than older people? Yes. Are sometimes older people wrong? Yes. 
With all that said, though, by and large, young people should know their place. And mom and dad, it is our job to make sure that we teach young people their place, how they should respond, how they should speak. My wife and I often have conversations with our kids. Our, we, we, of course, homeschool our children. And one of the benefits of homeschooling your uh, children is that they learn to have developed very good communication skills. If you look at the homeschool kids around here, they're able to have conversations. We don't have this segregation of, you're in sixth grade and I'm in fifth grade and that makes me the Lord over you. You don't find that in homeschool communities. You find older people and younger people all talking and being kind to each other. And, and I love that. And people think, oh, that's weird. Really? Is everybody that you work with at your job your exact same age? Because when you get out in the real world, you know what you're going to have to deal with? Older people, younger people, people your age. This high school mentality that we're going to put all the 15-year-olds together and you only talk to the 15-year-olds and only the 15-year-olds, they're all cooler than the 14-year-olds and they're not as cool as the 16-year-olds. That's not the real world. In the real world, you deal with older people, younger people. And you know, I love that about homeschooling because you have these kids that can actually talk and interact. You say, is that a skill? Have you gone to, the, have you gone to a fast food place recently? You walk up and you got some 60-year-old looking at his shoes. And they're behind the counter. And you're like, okay, this is how it works. I walk up, you say, hi, hi, how may I help you? I say, I'd like a number three. And then, you know, we interact. And, you know, the, the, what the world is producing is a bunch of idiots. A bunch of morons that can't communicate, can't speak, can't talk, can't, can't have uh, a normal dialogue with, uh, with, with individuals. So I love the fact that within a homeschool community, you get to develop the social skills of these children. They learn to speak to adults. They learn to speak to older children. And they learn to speak to younger children, be kind in, in all these areas. And all of that is great. However... <laughs> Sometimes, because we have that and we like that and all that's good, we notice that sometimes kids get a little too comfortable. And mom and dad, sometimes you need to rein your kids back a little bit and say, hey, you're 10 years old. You don't speak to an adult like that. Listen to me. You shouldn't be allowing your little kids to refer to uh, people, uh, uh, grown people by their first name. It's not, hey, Oliver, how you doing? It's Brother Oliver. Amen. Deacon Oliver. Brother Gonzalez, Joanne, you know, it's like a five-year-old or 10-year-old or 12-year-old. No, no, it's, it's Mrs. Jimenez or Miss Joanne. It's, you know, we need to, we, we're glad that they are comfortable interacting with adults, but we still have to teach them their place. That when you respond to older people, you respond to elder people. You say, yeah, but sometimes uh, kids know more Bible than grown-ups. Okay, well, if they know so much Bible, then they should know this Bible. Leviticus 19, verse 32. Thou shalt rise up before the hoary head. Leviticus 19.32, Thou shalt rise up before the hoary head and honor the face of the old man and fear thy God, I am the Lord. You know what the Bible teaches that we should show respect to elder people simply because they're elder than us? In fact, the Bible says, and look, you young men ought to learn. Uh, uh, the hoary head, the word hoary means grayish or white. If a man, if a grown man that has some gray hair or some white hair or speckled hair on his head approaches you and you're sitting down and he approaches you and speaks to you, you stand up. 
Yeah, well, you know, why should I do that? Because the Bible says, thou shalt rise up before the hoary head and honor the face of the old man and fear thy God. I am the Lord. Go to Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 31. You're there in Job, Psalms, Proverbs. Proverbs 16. Proverbs 16, verse 31. Job, Psalms, Proverbs. Job 16, 31. But sometimes old people are wrong. Sometimes young people know more of the Bible than old people. Okay, well, if they know so much Bible, they should know Proverbs 16, verse 31. The hoary head is a crown of glory, if it be found in the way of righteousness. Now, of course, are there old people that are wicked as hell? Of course there are. Are there old people that, that are, are wicked? Yeah. But when, when, when you have someone who's found in the way of righteousness, when you find someone who's serving the Lord, walking with God, going to church, and, and they have a hoary head, then you know what? We should honor that. The hoary head is a crown of glory, the Bible says, if it be found in the way of righteousness. Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Elihu was young. Young people should not be despised simply because they are young. Paul said, let no man despise thy youth. And sometimes young people do know more than older people. Sometimes older people don't know what they're talking about. That's true. But by and large, young people should know their place. By and large, young people should know. And young people should also know even when they're right, even if they're right or even if they think they're right, they should respond appropriately to those who are elder or mature, more mature than they are. First Timothy chapter 5, you say, well, yeah, but sometimes young people know more. Okay, well, if they know so much, they should know this verse. First Timothy 5, verse 1, rebuke not an elder. Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father and the younger men as brethren. You say, ah, oh, it's talking about pastors. Well, actually, it's talking about a, the word elder here is referring to both spiritually mature and physically mature. The context is about an older person, rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father. Notice the, the contrast, and the younger man as brethren. If you're a young man here in this church, and you've got other young men in this church, you know, the Bible says you should treat them as they are your brethren. But when we've got some older men with some gray hair, the Bible says you should entreat them as a father. Now, the primary context, of course, is referring to the elder. Later in the same chapter, he refers to the pastor as the elder. That speaks to spiritual maturity. The Bible says here, rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father and the younger man as brethren. Should young people be discriminated against just because they're young? No. Are young people sometimes right and older people wrong? Yes, sometimes. Are sometimes older people uh, don't know what they're talking about? Sometimes. But you know what? By and large, young people should know their place. They should know how to respond and how to respect the elder. The Bible says, rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father. You know, when I was growing up, I ne never, in, in, in my wildest dreams, would I have never walked up to my dad and said, you're wrong. Those would have been my last words. <laughs> I, I, you, you know, you, I, you would never found me again. There'd be like a, a Dateline story about me. <laughs> you say why? Because he's my father, Amen. and because I, I respected him, but I also feared him. Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brethren. 
Let me, let me explain something to you young people. I'm not your buddy. I, I'm, I'm being patient with some of you right now. The way you're treating me and treating my wife, it's about to end real soon. I'm not, your, I'm not your little buddy here. I try to be nice and I smile and all those things. I'm the pastor of the stinking church. She's the pastor's wife. You're, you're, you know, we'll be patient and we'll be kind for a little while, but that ends. And it's probably going to end right about after the service tonight. We have this conference coming up. We have a bunch of pastors showing up. We have men of God showing up. You be careful how you speak to them. It's not Bruce. Hey, Joe, how you doing? No, no, it's Pastor Jones. Steve, how you doing? No, no, it's Pastor Anderson. You approach them appropriately. You speak to them appropriately. You speak to their wives with respect. You treat them appropriately. Why? Because you say, well, sometimes older people are wrong. Yeah, but you should have enough sense to know that you're not supposed to rebuke an elder. Or entreat them as, you're supposed to entreat them as a father and, a young, and the younger men as, as brethren, the Bible says. So we have this young man, Elihu. Should he be discriminated against because he's young? No. But he should be discriminated against because he's rude. Are sometimes young people, do sometimes young people know more than older people? Sometimes. But by and large, young people should know their place. By and large, young people should know how, how to treat their pastors. Well, look, you're mad at me because I preached about something, you're being rude to my wife. That's, that, that shows how immature you are. That shows how stupid you are. Job 32. Look at verse 12. Job 32, verse 12. Yea, I attended unto you, Elihu says. And behold, there was none of you that convinced Job or that answered his words. Here we have Elihu who, by the way, was right to be patient for the last 32 chapters and to keep his mouth shut. However, we're going to find that Elihu is very wrong about a lot of things, and it has to do with a a presupposition that he has. He has a preconceived idea. See, in verse 12, Elihu lets us know something about his thoughts. He says, yea, I attended unto you, and behold, he said, I listened, I was patient, I listened to your words. He says, there was none of you that convinced Job or that answered his words. See, Elihu had this preconceived idea, Elihu had this preconceived idea that Job was wrong. And because he had that preconceived idea where he agreed with Job's friends, we're going to see that he comes to a lot of the same wrong conclusions. So what do we learn about this young man, Elihu? Well, the first thing we learn is that he's young. Why don't you notice the second thing we learn about Elihu? Go go back to Job 32, look at verse 2. We saw that Elihu was young. Should he be discriminated against because he was young? No. Should he be discriminated against because he was rude? Yes. Do sometimes young people know more than older people? Sometimes. Very rarely, but sometimes. Are sometimes older people wrong? Sometimes. However, by and large, young people should know their place. By and large, young people should know how to take correction, should know how to deal with their elders. And some of you, I'm being patient with you for the sake of your parents, but we're going to get this straightened out. We're going to figure this out at Verity Baptist Church or not, who the pastor is and how this church runs. 
Elihu was young and he needed to learn his place. Number two, Elihu was angry. Because of testosterone, this often goes together. You say, who was Elihu? I can tell you this, he was young and he was angry. Elihu was not slow to wrath. Look at verse 2. This is the narrator speaking. Then was kindled the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite of the kindred of Ram, against Job. Was his wrath kindled because he justified himself rather than God? Notice that Elihu, the Bible says, his, uh, uh, that in verse 2 there, then was kindled the wrath of Elihu. Notice verse 3. Also against his three friends was his wrath kindled because they had found no answer and yet had condemned Job. Now Elihu had waited till Job had spoken because they were elder than he. Then was Elihu, then when Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, notice what the Bible says, verse 5, then his wrath was kindled. I want you to notice in verse 2 it says, then was kindled the wrath of Elihu. Verse 3, his wrath was kindled. Verse 5, his, uh, then his wrath was kindled. Elihu was not slow to wrath. He was an angry young man. And as a result, not only was he not slow to wrath, he was not slow to speak. Why don't you notice what Elihu says in verse 18? He says, I am full of matter. I would have used a different word, but okay. I am full of matter. The spirit within me constraineth me. Behold, my belly is as wine which hath no vent. It is ready to burst like new bottles. I will speak that I may be refreshed. I will open my lips and answer. Let me not, I pray you, accept any man's person. Neither let me give flattering titles unto man. For I know not to give flattering titles. In so doing, my maker would soon take me away. I want you to notice that Elihu was angry. He was not slow to wrath. He, uh, his wrath was kindled against Job and his three friends, and he was not slow to speak. He describes himself in verse 18. He says, I've got so much to say, I can't help it. He says, I'm full of matter. He says, my belly is as wine which had no vent. He said, the, it, it, the idea is that you would have a bottle of wine. And this is actually referenced in the New Testament as an example. And the wine in that bottle would uh, begin to expand. And if it didn't have a way to vent out, it would eventually burst. He says, he says I, uh, uh, my belly is as wine which had no vent. It is ready to burst like new bottles. Bottles. He says, I will speak that I may be refreshed. I will open my lips and answer. Here we have Elihu, this young man, who was not only young, but he was angry, and he could not stop himself from speaking. And please understand this. He said, what can we learn uh, from Elihu? And we'll learn it over the next six chapters. It's this, that when you speak in anger, you'll usually make a fool out of yourself. Go to James chapter number one. James chapter number one. If you kept your place in First Timothy, you got First and Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James. He was angry, and he was speaking. Two bad ideas. Look, sometimes when you're angry, the best thing you can do is to just shut your mouth. Sometimes when you're angry, the best thing you can do is to just stop, stop talking. Usually when you're angry, you say stupid things, you do stupid things, you uh, uh, say things that you regret. James 1, 19 says this, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be 
Number one, swift to hear. Number two, slow to speak. Number three, slow to wrath. Elihu was none of these. He was not slow to wrath and he was not slow to speak. In fact, he's going to talk so much, no one will be able to interrupt him. He's going to say so much, he's going to go for six chapters. He'll speak more than God speaks on behalf of, quote-unquote, God. What do we know about Elihu? He was a young man. What do we know about Elihu? That he was an angry man. He was not slow to wrath. He was not slow to speak. And when you speak in anger, you will make a fool out of yourself. We should learn the lesson from James. We should be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Go back to Job 32, look at verse 6. Let me give you the third thing we can learn about this young man, Elihu. We saw, number one, that he was young. We saw, number two, that he was angry. Like you notice 30 tonight, he was opinionated. Elihu was not only young, he was angry, he was, and he was opinionated. I think we, there's a lot of Elihu's on Facebook right now. He had a lot of opinions. Notice what he says in verse 6. And Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzai, answered and said, I am young and you are very old. Why, why you have to say that? I don't know. Then he says, Wherefore I was afraid and durst not show you, notice these two words, mine opinion. He said, hey, I've got an opinion. I've got something I want to say here. And notice what he says in verse 10. Therefore, I said, hearken to me, I also will show mine opinion. This guy is very interested in his own opinion. Notice verse 11. Behold, I waited for your words. I gave ear to your reason. Whilst you searched out what to say, yea, I attended unto you. And behold, there was none of you that convinced Job or that answered his words, lest ye should say, We have found out wisdom. God thrusted them down. No man. Uh, God thrusted them down, not man. Now he hath not directed his words against me, neither will I answer him with our speeches. They were amazed. They answered no more. They left off speaking when I, when I had waited, for they spake not, but stood still and answered no more. We're going to come back to some of those verses here in a little bit. Look at verse 17. I said, I will answer also my part. I also will show, notice the words, mine opinion. Very opinionated young man. Elihu was not only young, Elihu was not only angry, he was also opinionated. What can we learn about this? Go to Lamentations, if you would. Lamentations chapter 3. You're there in Job. You have Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. We have a very opinionated young man. What are the takeaways? What can we learn? Well, first of all, we can learn that no one cares about your opinion. Some of you are waiting for me to finish, but that's it. No one cares about your opinion. Period. We live in a society today where everybody has a much higher view of their own opinion than they probably should have. We live in a society today because of Facebook and Instagram and uh, you know, YouTube and because of all these social media platforms that people have convinced themselves that everybody cares about their opinion. In fact, everybody has to go out of the way to give their opinion. I think it's interesting, and I'm not on social media. The church is on social media. I'm personally not on social media. My wife is not on social media. But I do think it's interesting because we get reports back from social media that people will often, you know, when you put that comment out there that has nothing to do with anything and it's just this subtle, I'm just giving my opinion about something that happened. Your little subtle passive jabs. 
What is that? Well, here's what it is. It's somebody who really values their own opinion. Here's the thing, though, and I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm just trying to help you understand something. Nobody cares about your opinion. <laughs> and I, nobody cares about my opinion. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but I get up and preach three times a week here at Verity Baptist Church for about an hour every time, and uh, we usually spend a lot of time in the Word of God, and it's very rare that I give a whole lot of my opinions. You say, why? Because I understand that nobody really cares about my opinion. Nobody really cares about your opinion. As much, You say, well, you don't understand, I'm very important. As much as you don't care about your neighbor's opinion, they don't care about yours. No one cares about your opinion, period. You should learn that. You should write that down. Some of you should write that down. But let me say this. If you want people to care about your opinion, if you want to be a leader, which means to develop your influence, to have influence with people, if you want people like Job to listen when you speak, to be quiet when you begin to give your thoughts, if you want people to care about your opinion, then you should earn their respect and earn the right to speak and be heard. Well, no, I should, I should give my opinion simply because, you know, the Bible says, let no man despise thy youth. Yes, but don't forget the rest of the verse. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers. In word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. He says, let no man despise thy youth. But then he says this. He says to Timothy, Timothy, don't let people despise your youth. But make sure that your behavior doesn't make you look like an idiot based off your youth. Don't let people despise your youth. Let no man despise thy youth. But be thou an example of the believer. In word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. I'm a young person. I want people to hear what I have to say. Earn the right to speak. Earn people's respect. Do something with your life so that people will care when you open your mouth. See, young men need to learn, and we're speaking here about Elihu. But I hope all young men hear this. I hope my sons hear this. Lamentations 3 and verse 27 Young men need to learn this. When they're young, their job is to work. To work and earn the right to lead. Lamentations 3, verse 27, It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. According to the Bible, what should young men be doing? Bearing the yoke in their youth. What does that mean? They should be working. They should be working hard. See, the problem we have in this inflated self-society is that a young man wants to walk into a job and start telling the boss what to do, start telling the supervisors what to do, start telling the CEOs what to do, start telling everybody what to do. No, no, no. Your job is to work. Work hard. Show up on time. Don't be lazy. Make a profit. And eventually, you know, you'll earn people's respect and you'll earn the right to have a to have a place at the table. You don't get to speak just because you have a mouth. I mean, you get to speak, but nobody cares. No one cares. Look, I'm not trying to be mean to you. I'm really trying to help you out. No one cares about your opinion. 
But if you want people to care about your opinion, then you should earn their respect. You should earn the right. Over the years, and some of you, you've been with us for a long time, you know this. We've had so many young men walk through these doors, and we just with pride and arrogance, they want to tell me and the staff and anyone that will listen why we're wrong about this and why we're wrong about that and why we're building the church all wrong and we're running the church all wrong. And I'm looking at these young men, I'm thinking to myself, you've never built a doghouse. You, you've never run a, a hot dog stand and you want to show up here and tell us what we're doing wrong. Why don't you show up and get to work, shut your mouth, and actually do something with your life and maybe you'll have enough respect, you'll learn some respect so that people want to hear what you have to say. But until then, let me let you in on a little secret. Nobody cares. Nobody cares about your opinion. You say, well, why did they let him speak for, uh, why did they let Elihu speak for uh, six chapters? You know why I think they let Elihu speak for six chapters? Because the man had just spoken for 32 chapters, and they were done. As far as they were concerned, the conversation was over. Elihu began to rant his mouth, and the only reason Elihu even shuts up is because God interrupts him. And here's all I'm telling you. Here's all I'm telling you. Nobody cares about your opinion. I think it's funny when ladies want to give all these opinions about how to raise their children. They've not yet raised their children. I'm not mad at you, and and I think we should all be striving to raise our children for the Lord. Why don't you raise up some kids and then give us a lesson? Why aren't you do something and accomplish something? Look, we as young men, I shouldn't say we because I'm not a young man anymore. I've got enough white hairs now that I I can't say that anymore. Young men should earn the right to speak. They should earn the respect to have their opinion heard. And when they just speak without a life and behavior to back it up, every grown man just rolls their eyes and says, whatever, Elihu. By the way, let me say this. Go back to Job 32 if you would. So what should young men do? Build something? So you're being kind of hard on the young men. They, these, men need, these young men need somebody to be hard on them. I've got all these young men that want to go into the ministry. You think you're going to go into the ministry and it's just going to be a, uh, you know, everyone's just going to be cheering you on and patting you on the back and it's just going to be a, a bed of roses the whole time? If you, if you can't get past me being a little direct with you, you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it in ministry. You're not going to make it in life. You need to figure out the real world out there. And in the real world, nobody cares. Nobody cares what you have to say. Nobody cares. You can write a book. They're not going to buy it. You know why people buy books? Because they look at someone that's successful and they say, wow, this person's actually built a business. Let me hear what they have to say. You first have to build something. You first have to do something. You first have to accomplish something. And let me just remind some of the young men that Lots of money and nice vehicles and fancy gadgets and motorcycles and all these little nice things that they think are impressive to grown men are not impressive. Don't take this the wrong way. 
But sometimes young men get a little bit of a big head because they've got all these nice things and they got all these, they're spending money and grown men realize that the only reason you have that car, the only reason you have that gadget, the only reason you have that spending money is because you live at home with your parents. Now, I'm not saying that in a negative way. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that in a derogatory way. I want you living at home with your parents. The Bible says that a young man will leave father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. But let me just help you out. You will get the respect from grown men when you've got a wife and children that's livelihood is dependent on the fact that you go and work and hunt something and bring it home. You build something. You sell something. You produce something. That's what actually impresses men. So if you want a seat at the table, if you want to be heard, if you want your opinion to count, go do something. See, Elihu says, I am very young, and you are very old, and let me tell you. And nobody cares. You say, what do we have with this young man, Elihu? What do we have? Here's what we have. Elihu was young, angry, and opinionated. What are the takeaways? Young people should not be despised due to their age. But they should also know their place. What do we learn? We learn that when we speak out of anger, we make fools of ourselves. What do we learn? We learn that no one really cares about your opinion. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. It's just the truth. But if you want people to care about your opinion, then you should earn the right to speak. You should earn the respect to be heard. I want to just point out one last thing here in verse 4 as we finish up the book of Job, this chapter in, in Job. Many people have many different opinions about Elihu. I think I've been clear about what I think about Elihu. The best way for us to go forward and to see whether Elihu is correct or not is to not make assumptions about Elihu, but is to actually dissect and determine the statements that Elihu makes and determine whether they are correct or not. And one of the keys to understanding whether Elihu is right or wrong is actually found in verse 4, and it is in a statement that he made. Excuse me, not verse 4, verse 14. Job 32, verse 14. Notice what he says. Now, he hath not directed his words against me. Elihu says, now he hath not directed his words against me. Talking about Job. Then he says this, neither will I. This is Elihu. He says, neither will I answer him, talking about Job, with your, the your there is referring to Job's three friends, with your speeches. Here's a promise that Elihu makes to us when he spends an entire chapter introducing himself to us, he makes this promise. He says to Job and to his three friends that I am not going to answer Job using the same arguments that Job's friends used. He says, neither will I answer him with your speeches. And this will actually be the key for us to learn whether Elihu is right or wrong because he tells us up front, he says, I'm not going to make the same arguments that the three friends made. What were the arguments that the three friends made? That Job was a sinner and needed to repent. That prosperity, that the prosperity gospel was true and that if you just simply did right, God would prosper you. He, all these arguments that Job's friends made, Elihu says, I'm not going to make those same arguments. I'm bringing new material. 
What we'll find over the next several chapters is that Elihu just makes the exact same arguments as Job's three friends. And this shows us that he's just an arrogant young man who's a little angry and has a lot of opinions. And Elihu needed to learn a lesson, which was when you're young, you shut your mouth, you work hard, and you earn the right to speak. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this chapter. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to learn it, understand it, internalize it. And Lord, I do thank you for the fact that our church is filled with men that love you, that work hard, that protect and provide for their families. And it's filled with young men that are striving to do that, that are on the road and in the direction to do those things. And help our young men and our young people to learn their place, to realize they're not running the show. They don't get to show up to church and start making decisions and decide what this church is going to do. They need to work hard and earn the right to speak. And Lord, I pray that you would help all the young people. Lord, and if none of these young people want to hear it, Lord, I pray for my kids that you would help them to learn their place and their role, especially my sons. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.